Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Clay Scroggins, and it was recorded on Sunday, May 1st, as part of our Life of Jesus sermon series. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at info at faithbridge.org. And if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us at FaithBridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Clay. I had a birthday this week, and it, birthdays are such a good reminder of the passage of time, you know, uh, that you're getting older, that your body is wasting away, you know. <laughs> Last Sunday, my uh, 11-year-old son, he had a, a father-son capture the flag event at their school, which I thought, well, this will be a good time, you know. We played about five games. We couldn't make it past that because all the dads had to go on the injured reserve list. I mean, there were hamstrings being pulled. I pulled my hip flexor. I've never, I, I didn't even know this was a thing, you know? My son asked me in the car on the way home, he said, Dad, why were the dads huffing and puffing so much? I'm like, because we're out of shape, son. It's time. It's the way it works. And then as you get older, you start getting more emotional too, right? Have you noticed this? It's wild the way this works. You just cry more. I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for women. It feels like women almost go the other way. It feels like women sometimes cry less. Is that true for any of you women? Is that accurate for you? I know for my wife, I feel like when we were in our 20s, she would cry at everything. And now she's the stable one and I'm the emotional one. She's like, pull it together. Come on, you know? We've got kids to feed, you know? Children to raise. My father-in-law, I've seen it. Definitely, I've seen it. My dad, my dad will just pray at you know, Thanksgiving and just start crying in the middle of the prayer or my father-in-law was showing our kids an episode of Chosen. Uh, if you haven't seen Chosen, wow, incredible. And he started to tell them about something that he thought was very moving, and he just lost it. He couldn't talk. He was so emotional, uh, and, and rightfully so. It is an incredible, incredible um, depiction of Jesus and his life. And, but my kids look at me like, what's wrong with him, you know? And I'm like, he just wishes that we were watching Home Alone. That's it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, we, it's just crazy how that works, you know, the way, the older you get, the more emotional you get. Um, today, um, today we're going to look at a story. Uh, in fact, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, Luke 7. Um, if you have a, if you use a Bible app, if you use technology, please turn to that. If you want, uh, if you would like a Bible, we have one you can just grab and you can keep it if you would like, or you can hand it back, but just hold your hand up if you would. Um, we're going to look at Luke 7, verse 36. We're trucking through Luke, and here we are, Luke 7, verse 36. Now, before we get into the story, let me just say, you know, if, if you took a preaching class in a theological, you know, postgraduate kind of place, they would tell you, hey, when you're preaching a sermon, you want to set up up front what we're talking about, and you want to set up the tension or the need. Why is this important? Why do you need to listen to this? And honestly, today, um, as I've been wrestling through this passage, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to skip all that, and I'm going to jump right into the passage, because the passage, it, is, it does far more of an adequate job in just elevating the need, elevating the tension of why this story, this interaction with Jesus is so important. 
And I know that you, there's something in you that has some kind of interest in Jesus. That's why you're here. Maybe you grew up with a faith and you left it as an adult and maybe you're coming back to it. Or maybe you have a very vibrant faith that's alive, that's a huge part of your life. Or maybe you have no faith. And maybe you're here today in the building or maybe you're watching online and maybe somebody invited you and you're still trying to figure faith out. Today is such an important day. It's a very simple message. It's a very simple story but it is so powerful. And it honestly, I know it sounds um, preacher talk to say it demands our attention, but I think as you get into this story, you're gonna realize, oh, this really does demand a response from us. What do we do with this passage? Luke 7, verse 36, is the way it begins. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, if you've been around church at all or you know much about the way this worked in their context, Pharisees are the teachers of the law. The Pharisees are kind of the religious leaders. They're the, you know, they're in general fairly uptight. They're rigid. They're judgmental. They cared, as we hear from Jesus in other passages, they care most about the outside of the cup. He told them at one point, woe to you Pharisees. You care too much about the outside of the cup. Meanwhile, the inside of the cup is dirty. It's filled with evil. And Jesus was constantly going at it with Pharisees. So this is a little different. This is interesting because this is a Pharisee who invited Jesus over to his house and Jesus accepted the invitation. Now, there's a couple things we have to understand contextually about the way a dinner like this would work. Okay, and I, I, I obviously, I don't, I'm no expert on first century Middle Eastern culture, but I have read enough to understand that it was a little bit different. There were some things that were unique so the way they would have eaten, you have to remember, no one had their feet under the table. So this wasn't like the way we would think of a dinner or a meal where everyone's just sitting in a chair with their feet under the table. No, no, the table would have been really low. There would have been pillows around the table and people would have been reclining at the table. So you can just picture Jesus and some, maybe some other Pharisees, some of friends of this particular Pharisee, sitting, reclining at this table and their feet were kind of stretched out behind them. Now, the other unique thing is that the way they would do a meal like this is that people were, uh, it, was, it was normal for people to be milling around the dinner. People that were just townspeople or people that had just heard. Did you hear that this, this Pharisee invited Jesus for dinner? Let's go watch and see what happened. It, it was almost like a, a public spectacle that you could go and watch. And so there were people that weren't necessarily invited to the dinner that were at the dinner. And that's who this lady is that Luke uh, Luke, who was a medical doctor, but as he told us at the very beginning of Luke, he researched, listened to stories, asked people, and collected this version, collected this view of, hey, this was what Jesus's life was like. These were the interactions that he had. And so as he's telling us this story, he says, hey, there was a woman in that town who lived a, a sinful life. There was a woman in the town who lived a sinful life. And she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So this is really important that this lady, Luke specifically tells us that she lived a sinful life. Now commentators, theologians, people who study the Bible would tell you, they would tell us, they would inform us. They would say, hey, this woman, her profession she probably was a, a woman of the night. She probably was a prostitute. She was probably a woman who, whatever had happened in her life, she had gotten to that point where she had to compromise her own worth, her own values, 
to be able to make ends meet, to be able to pay for life. Maybe she hated her job. Maybe she wished that she did something different. Maybe she hated the fact that this is where she ended up in life, but nonetheless, this is what, this is what she did. And she comes there with intention. She comes there for a reason. And Luke tells us that specifically, she brought this alabaster jar of perfume. It seems that her intention was to do something with this perfume because she had heard that Jesus was there. So we don't know what she had heard about Jesus, but whatever she had heard about him, she comes to this dinner thinking, I'm going to come and gift this to him. I'm going to come and use this. I don't know what the heading of your Bible says. The heading in my Bible says, sinful woman anoints Jesus. And it seems like she comes with the intention to use this alabaster bottle of perfume to, to be able to gift this or give this or anoint this and anoint Jesus with this perfume. And of course, Researchers, commentators, all these people will, they'll tell us like, oh, you got to understand what this was like. And they will tell you that this was a huge, um, this was an, economically, this was a huge deal because this would have been an expensive jar. This would have been expensive perfume. Now we don't obviously know everything there is to know about this, but one of the things that I've learned about this as I've read is potentially she wore this around her neck. So this was almost something that a, a woman might have adorned herself with. And the way this would normally work is she would take the top off, take the lid off, and people would experience the scent that it would make her more irresistible, that this is what she would use in a way to draw people to herself. This was not just very expensive, but it was also part of her identity. And what we're going to find in a little bit is that she doesn't just take the top off of the bottle. You couldn't just pour it out this way. It had a long neck. But what you would have to do is actually break the bottle. And once you did that, this was all gone. You better use it in this moment. And she stands up, Luke tells us. He says, as she stood behind him, it's as if she came here to do something, but then she got overwhelmed with emotion. She stood up behind him at his feet. As far as we know, Jesus hadn't even noticed her until this moment. But she comes to do something with the jar and whatever happens, whatever she was feeling in that moment, she gets so, uh, what, what did the, on Saturday Night Live, what did they teach us the word? The, uh, she gets verklempt, right? She gets overwhelmed. She's overcome with emotion. She can't control herself. She, she starts weeping and her tears start dripping in a way that maybe land on Jesus's feet. And at this point, he now turns around and notices her. You, you've had a moment like this, right? where you, you decided, hey, I'm going to tell this person how I feel. I'm gonna, I, I want to go and explain how grateful I am or how much I appreciate them. You know, maybe it's the first time you ever met a celebrity, your celebrity crush, you know, and you just, you, you had something you wanted to say, but you got so overwhelmed. I remember a couple of years ago, um, I got the chance to uh, sit in a meeting that Louis Giglio was leading to get ready for a passion conference. You all know, probably, I would assume, you know, Louis and Shelley Giglio, who uh, Ben Stewart, uh, works for with Passion City Church, and uh, Louis in Atlanta, and so I'm in Atlanta, so I'm in this meeting with him, and my wife and I, uh, my wife went to Texas A&M, I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta, and okay, thank you, and, um, and we both are so grateful for the passion and for the ministry of passion, and so I thought, I just was sitting in this meeting, and I just was, you know, you, at that moment where you kind of stirred, you kind of moved, and I thought, I'm going to go tell him how grateful I am, and I've met him a number of times, 
And so I thought, you know what, um, I, I'm just going to, this is going to be very casual. And so I go up to him and start to explain. And before I could even get the words out of my mouth, I just lose it. I just start crying. I start weeping. And when you have a moment like that, it's a little embarrassing, right? Because he's a pastor, I'm a pastor. We've been in plenty of moments like this. You know the way it goes. You know, do you crack a joke? Do you give him time? Do you say, hey, it's okay? Do you say, come back later? You know, do you say, just write it down and text it to me or email it to me, you know? But he was very kind and gracious and he waited. And it, I mean, it took me a while to gather myself to be able to get through it. And every time I would open my mouth, I would start crying more. It was like this biological response to my gratitude, you know? It's like as soon as the words would come out, the tears would flow. And maybe you've had a moment like that that you can think of or that you can remember. This was for this woman. This was her moment. She comes there to explain to Jesus, I guess, or to, to give this to Jesus to, because she felt so grateful. She was so overwhelmed. She was so overcome that he would love someone like her, that he would forgive someone like her, that he would welcome someone like her, and she just loses it. And she didn't just stand there weeping. No, she... She let her hair down. Now, I'm, obviously, you can look at me like I wish I had hair that I could let down. I have no hair to let down. Those of you that do, you know, maybe a few men, but mostly women probably, you know the way this works. I mean, this, there's usually, this says something when you let your hair down, you know. Either it's the end of the day and I'm ready to relax, or maybe, you know, we've all seen the movie where, you know, the woman is with the man and she lets her hair down and you're like, oh, okay, so something's gonna happen here, you know? I mean, it's a sign, it's a, it's a, it, it means something. And in this culture, in this society, a woman would never have let her hair down in public like this. It would have been wildly inappropriate to do this. But as we're gonna see uh, in a few different ways, this woman couldn't care less what people think about her. And so as she's weeping and her tears are falling onto Jesus' feet, she lets her hair down and she begins to use her hair to wipe off Jesus' feet and kissing his feet. And then she takes the alabaster bottle and breaks it and pours the perfume all over Jesus' feet. Everyone would have smelled it. Everyone would have noticed it. She's interrupting the whole party. She's kind of making a scene and she doesn't care because she's overwhelmed. She's feeling something so strongly and she just cannot contain it. Now again, the, the heading in my Bible says, sinful woman anoints Jesus. And, and, and we could just stop there, that, that, that could be enough. But this is not why Luke included this story. This story is not just about this woman. This story is also about this Pharisee that invited Jesus. Remember that word. We're gonna see it again when it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and we're gonna learn a little bit later on, this Pharisee's name was Simon. We don't know her name. We know his name. And when Simon, who invited Jesus, he invited Jesus, meaning he wanted to be around Jesus. He wanted to get to know Jesus. He had heard things about Jesus and he wanted to see it for himself. He wanted to experience Jesus for himself. He had something he wanted. This is important because this story is really about two people. It's about this, this Pharisee, this religious leader, this, this, this man who had his own religious way 
And then it's about this woman who also wanted to be around Jesus. Both of these people wanted to experience Jesus. And this is why this is so important for us today. Because I think what we're gonna find is a lot of us are going to relate to Simon and go, oh, I can understand. That's kind of the way I see religion. That's the way I understand religion. And my hope is that a lot of us today are gonna go, how can I be more like this woman? Because the contrast between the two is so stark. Both want to be around Jesus. And Jesus welcomes one and rebukes the other. He encourages one and he admonishes the other. Yeah, see, Simon made the mistake of thinking something and he was thinking something and thinking that his thought was private. Meanwhile, he's standing there in the presence of an all-knowing God who goes, I know what you're thinking, but Jesus, I didn't say it out loud. You don't need to. I know what you're thinking, Simon. And so here's where we get into this exchange between Jesus and this Pharisee. After the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, or other translations would say, he thought to himself. Now we don't know, did he murmur it under his breath? Did he literally just think it in his mind? Whatever happened, he wasn't trying to broadcast this to the whole party, but he had this thought. He said to himself, if this man, if this man were actually a prophet, he would know, he would know who's touching his feet and he would know what kind of a woman this is, that she is a, bum, 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 a sinner. He would know that, but obviously he doesn't because I guess he's not. But Jesus goes, well, actually, Simon, let me just show you how much I actually am. And he says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon makes the second mistake of going, tell me, teacher. <laughs> what is it, Jesus? And Jesus does this, honestly, he does this, this is pretty kind. I mean, Jesus is not always kind with Pharisees. And in this case, he was very kind with him. He gives him an illustration. He gives him a story, he makes up a story, and he says, let me put it to you this way, Simon. And this story is so good. It's so helpful for every single one of us because we have a place in this story. I just think this is one of those stories that Jesus may even say to one of us, that Jesus may say to a lot of us, that he's certainly saying this morning to, to all of us. He says, all right, Simon, here, here, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. He says, well, there's, there's two people, and there's two people who owed money to a certain money lender. All right, so they had a debt and they owed the money lender. In fact, he said one owed 500 denarii and you really don't even have to know what a denarii is or how much a denarii is because the point is not what a denarii is, the point is the percentage. One of them owes 500 and the other one owes 50. So uh, an additional zero over here on this person, on his debt or her debt, he says these two people one of them owes 500, the other owes 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. Which, in a way, it doesn't really matter how much the debt is. If you can't pay the debt, you can't pay the debt. It's a little bit like, you know, um, 
You, you remember in, uh, what, was it Princess Bride, where he says, you know, oh, he's not dead, he's just kind of dead, you know? That they're just, that it's almost like he's inferring that there are levels of being dead, which obviously there are not. I mean, you're either dead or you're not dead, right? I mean, let, let me give you this kind of silly illustration that I heard a pastor years ago use that I thought was so funny, but imagine middle of the night, you get bit by a spider. Some of you are like, worst nightmare, thanks so much for that. But you get bit by a spider, and it's a, it's a poison spider, and the spider kills you, you don't even wake up, you die, all right? So you, you're laying there in bed, bit by a spider, dead, okay? Now, imagine, on the other hand, that there's a person who, uh, on a safari in Africa, gets into an altercation with a lion, and gets mauled by this lion. I mean destroyed, dismembered, decapitated, absolute terrible situation. Dead because of a spider bite, mauled by a lion. Who's more dead? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of silly because the point is, you're, you're dead, you're just dead. You're not more dead, right? You're just dead. Like either way, you're dead. There is no life. And I think on one hand, this is part of what Jesus is saying is that it doesn't really matter. If you have a debt and you can't pay it, the only way for you to get in back with the moneylender is if you can pay it or if the moneylender decides to cancel it or if someone pays the debt. Foreshadow to the cross and resurrection of Jesus, Right? But, but the emotional response is different though, right? That even though you might both be in debt and you can't pay the debt, even though you might both be dead and you can't bring your own self back to, back to life, there is a difference in the emotional response to the canceling of the debt. And this is what Jesus is trying to help Simon understand. He says, neither of them had money to pay the debt back. And so the money lender forgave the debts of both. And he says, Simon, important question, which one of them will love him more? What, what would you say to this? What's your answer? One had a debt of 500 and couldn't pay it. One had a debt of 50 and couldn't pay it. Neither one of them could pay it. He forgave both their debts, but which one would love him more? Which one would respond with more emotion? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the one who owed more. And this is what Simon said. Simon replies. He says, well, I suppose Jesus, the one, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus says, well done, Simon. You have judged correctly. Correct. And, and then, he, then he applies it for us, which is so helpful because sometimes Jesus gives us a story and we're kind of left to our own application. You know, what did he mean by that? But in this case, he tells us explicitly. Jesus turns to this woman. As he's talking to Simon, he turns to this woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? D did Simon see the woman? Uh, of course, that's why he had the thought and I love this little moment that Jesus is going, hey, Simon, see, part of the problem is that you don't see correctly. Simon didn't see himself correctly. Simon didn't see this woman correctly. And Simon didn't see Jesus correctly. 
Jesus says, Simon, do you see this woman? And then he uses her as a positive illustration. He says, I came into your house just like she came into your house, but it's, it's, it's your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her own tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, she had the same opportunity that you had. You had the same opportunity that she had. I'm in your house. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't greet me with love and affection. But this woman, from the time that I've entered the house, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Simon, are, are you seeing this? He goes a step further. He says, Simon, you had a chance. You're a man of wealth. You're a man of prestige. You're a man of sophistication. You, you could have put oil on my head, and you didn't. But, but she's poured all of her perfume on my feet. Simon, you're, you're missing it. Simon, you're caught up. And, and, and this is, I'm telling you, this message today is so for me. And I hope it's for you as well. But we get caught up in this clean, sanitized, compartmentalized, impersonal religion. We're, we're almost, we, we get sucked into it. That the older we get, the more sophisticated we get, the more successful we get, the longer we've been in church, we just begin to adopt this version of Christianity that is clean, safe, sanitized, not uncomfortable, impersonal. And this is what Simon had adopted, but not this woman. This woman didn't have time for that kind of religion. This woman seems like she couldn't have cared less for that kind of religion. And Jesus celebrates her and says, how amazing. That she, that she's willing to, in your mind, make a fool of herself. She doesn't care. She's overcome, she's overwhelmed. He says, therefore, Simon, I tell you, he says, her many sins, yes, she has many sins, Simon, she does. She, she might actually, Simon, I'll give you this, she might actually have more sins than you. But the truth is, you're both dead. The truth is, you both owed a debt, and neither one of you could pay the debt. And the truth is that I am laying my life down as a sacrifice to pay the debt that you couldn't pay and she knows it and you don't. You think you're good enough. You think you can do it on your own. You think, oh no, I, I, I got this, I can handle this. Simon, you can't bring yourself back to life. Simon, you can't give yourself forgiveness. You can't cancel your own debt. Simon, only I can do that for you. 
He says, therefore, I tell you, Simon, her many sins, and yes, she has many sins, they have been forgiven as great as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And the point isn't, so go out and sin more so you can accrue more debt. No, the point is, do you see how sinful that you are? Do you see yourself the way I see you? And he looks at this woman and says, ma'am, your sins, your sins are forgiven. At this point, everybody at the party is like, oh my goodness, we picked a good one. <laughs> and they're all going like, this is crazy. Can you believe it? And they start murmuring. They start looking around to each other going like, did you see this coming? I didn't see this coming. And then they all go, who does he think he is? The other guests said among themselves, they said, who is this who even forgives sin? You gotta think a lot of yourself to think that you can forgive sins. I'm sure one of them said, can you believe, this is shocking. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is going, yeah. Only God can forgive sins. And he looks at this woman and he says, your faith in what? Your faith in what? Your faith in me. It has saved you. And then he says, go in peace. What a great conclusion. But we don't actually translate this the way it probably should be translated because if we translate it, I guess it wouldn't really make sense. We don't exactly talk this way, but what it really should be translated as is go into peace. Go into it, go experience it. Why? Because this lady got to experience something that was changing the course of her life, that was changing the rest of her life in this life and changing the rest of her life in the next life. And Jesus is encouraging her, he's celebrating her. He's saying, go live out. That same, I don't care what people think, kind of foolish, kind of crazy, overwhelmed, overcome with emotion, sense of forgiveness that I'm offering to you. So here's the moment of truth. Let me ask you, who, who, who do you relate to more? Simon or this woman? I mean, this is the scary part. This is the part that I'm telling you. It demands a response from us. See, she, she had a more accurate view of Jesus. She knew who he really was. She knew that if he was who he says he was, it changes everything. If he really is who he says he is, it changes everything. Who did Simon think Jesus was? He just seems like he just thought he was an interesting teacher with an interesting lesson. I mean, Simon, think about this. Did Simon get what he wanted out of this encounter, out of this dinner? It seems like he got exactly what he wanted. He wanted an academic lecture. He wanted a seminar. He wanted a case study, you know, like he was interviewing for business school. 
He, and he got it. He got this academic, thoughtful, impersonal, n- not uncomfortable. He didn't have to touch anybody. He was appalled that she was touching Jesus. But what did this woman get? Oh my goodness, she got so much more because she had an accurate view of herself because she knew I don't deserve to be here. I didn't even get invited here. I'm just, only by grace am I here. And what did she get out of this? I mean, let me tell you a couple things that I, I try to make a list of what they both got. You know, I'm like, well, he got the lecture. You know, what did she get? She got, she got unconditional love. That, I don't know about you, but that's what I need. She also got, this is a, I don't know, this is hard to even think about, but she got, she got power. Let me put it to you this way. I mean, who had more power, Simon or this woman? Well, from an earthly standpoint, of course, Simon did. It's his dinner, it's his house, right? But, but think about this, the, the amount of power that this woman has. When you get to the point where you don't have to care anymore what other people think about you, that's power. And she had power. She had gotten over, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what other people think. I don't care if they think I'm a fool. I am in love with this God. I am overwhelmed that he would forgive me, that he's offered me grace. I can't even fathom it. I can't sit still. I can't act sophisticated. I'm not gonna try to make it seem like I know what I'm doing here. I don't, I shouldn't be here. Only because of him, only because of him do I even get to be here. And I don't care who knows it. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I, I'm, I'm so emotional. I can't even talk. I'm weeping. I'm pouring out. I, I'm giving him everything. Why? Because of who he is and because of who I am. That I know how broken and guilty and sinful I am. And the fact that he has loved me and he's given me an identity and he's given me a new name and he's given me a new life. I am so overwhelmed I don't care. I don't care that people think it's weird. I'm just floored. I'm telling you, until you see the cross of Jesus against the backdrop of your own sin, it'll just be a historical event. I mean, it'll just be like, oh, Jesus died on the cross. Cool. And Subway has $5 footlongs. Awesome. You know? God loves you. Oh, great. Awesome. Go in peace, brother. You too, my man. God loves you. See, it's just a bumper sticker. It's just a historical event. But when you put Jesus' death on the cross against the backdrop of your own sin, oh my goodness, that is life. That's life. And some of you, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe today's your day. Maybe for some of you, God is inviting you to not care anymore what people think. Today's your day. Maybe God's inviting you to get baptized. Today's your day. Maybe God's inviting you to serve other people in such a way that might even seem crazy. Today's your day. Maybe God's inviting you to be generous in a way that would seem a little bit like, whoa, so you really believe this stuff? You're like, if he is who he says he is, I'm all in. Maybe today's your day. 
And maybe it's going to look weird. Maybe it's going to look crazy. Maybe people are going to be like, whoa, did you see so-and-so? Whoa. He had two hands up in worship. Can you believe it? I thought he was a one-hander. I couldn't believe it. Did you see her? She was crying. What, does she really believe this? Crazy. Listen, I'm so done with the buttoned up, sophisticated, sanitized, clean, impersonal religion. I I get so sucked into it and I don't want anything to do with it. I so badly want to be like this woman. When I was 22, 23, I mean, that was the kind of faith I had. And now I think about it, now I'm 42, 20 years later, and I'm like, what happened to that kind of faith where I just, I couldn't wait to get alone with Jesus. I couldn't wait to just be able to know him more. I couldn't wait to be able to give him more of my life. But life just has this way of making you kind of grow up and lose that awe. And I don't want to do it. And so today, I just want to invite you. Um, we, we're going to have some, uh, our prayer partners are going to come down here. You can, you can come now, actually. Like, who cares, like, what the normal order is? Just come on now. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And, and I don't even know what, I don't know what your application is. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need to come and pray with someone. Maybe you need to decide, I'm going to give some money away, or I'm going to serve in some way, or I'm going to put it on my Facebook that I love Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what you need to do. But we're going to have people that are going to pray with you, so hopefully you don't do anything that's too ridiculous. You know, They're at least going to be able to be like, yeah, that seems like something God would ask you to do. And then we're going to sing this song, and I would just invite you to just respond. Let's, just let, let's let God do whatever he wants to do. Let's invite God's spirit to say, hey, come and move however you want to move. How silly would it be for us to have this opportunity to be in God's presence and let him do whatever he wants to do with us, and let's just and then just leave without being changed. Let's see what might happen. Heavenly Father, um, I I just know for me, I'm so done with the buttoned up. I'm so done with the, does that look like the way it should look? And is that appropriate? And is that, you know, the right thing, the right time? And I I, I just, I want you. I I just am like her. My, My life is, there's too much going on for me to try to make it seem like I know what I'm doing. God, I am so well aware that I do not, and I need you. And so today we just invite you, God, whatever that would look like, if that would look like that you want us to just live in a new way, if you want us to give you our life, if you want us to give something away, if you want us to talk to people about you at work, if you want us to decide to pray for our enemies, if you want us to love somebody that's on the other side, whatever it may be, we just want to let you know we're in, we're in. We're just so done. And so whatever it would look like for us to let our hair down, that's what today is. We're going to let our hair down. And we're going to pour out all of our life at your feet because you are worth it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.